Phil After has been in the pro wrestling business for over 50 years. Hey, talking here with uh, Arn Anderson. Arn, first of all, your height and weight. 6'1", 255. And now subscribers to VOC Nation Premium get exclusive access to Bill After's archived audio footage. And uh, where's your hometown? Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay, and uh, give us something about your back. First of all, your relationship to Ole Anderson. Ole is my Subscription to VOC Nation Premium starts at just $3 a month and includes commercial-free audio and video versions of our top podcasts. Okay, we're speaking here with uh, the manager of the World Heavyweight Tag Team Champions, Tarzan Tyler and Luke Graham, and he's, uh, he's sort of glowing tonight about a new prospect we haven't heard of yet. And for just $9 a month, Aptor's archives are all yours. Uh, would you tell us who this new prospect is? Well, I'll is? tell you, Bill, I've searched the world, and I finally <laughs> found the true world champion. I finally found... What's your opinion of uh, Ivan Koloff winning the title from Bruno San Martino? Well, I think... Uh, I don't know what to say, but I, well, I want to say one thing. Uh, Bruno was an LA champion. You know? Hear exclusive interviews with the greatest performers of all time. This is Bill Apter, and once again, we're speaking here with... Bruno San Martino. Bruno, first of all, how did you and Bruiser lose that title to the Valiants? Well, actually, it, it was a, a, a very unusual loss, if you want to call it a did loss. Did didn't have anything to do Well, yes, but the whole thing is that the rules, as I always understood them, was that you, the title could only be lost by pin or, or submission, which is the same rules as uh, my title, the World War Wrestling Federation. That night, uh, it was... To sign up, it's very simple. Head to premium.vocnation.com or go to patreon.com slash vocnation. VOC Nation takes you behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. No BS with the bull, Manny Fernandez, right here on the VOC Nation Wrestling Network. Voice of Choice, Bruce Work, back with Manny Fernandez after a week off because Manny was up in Albany, New York at the Captain's Corner doing a special signing. And Manny, it had to be fun to get back out with the people again. Oh, God, Bruce, it was fantastic. The people just reminded me of what wrestling was and how it was respected back in the day. In the old times, you know, a lot of these fans are, are called the New York elite all showed up and everything. And what really surprised me is how polite and respectful they were. They were so respectful about the old school wrestling, how they miss it and everything. It was, it was a fantastic time with uh, Captain Nick and, and his wife, the general. And we just had a beautiful time up there with the people, especially yeah. the fans. How many people showed up? So this is like, you know, we, we were without conventions and without real in, in live signings for quite a while. So how many people showed up and was there masks? How did they do the setup? Because I'm sure people were curious. Yeah, we did the mask. I wouldn't take my mask off. I was there with Tatanka and he was telling people, oh, it's okay to take off your mask. I said, no, dude, ain't <laughs> taking off my mask. <laughs> I had gotten my second shot, though. So, you know, I should be all right, but I still wouldn't taking that chance. And the fans all had, and I don't know how many people, but I'll tell you this. I signed memorabilia for over two hours. So wow. that had to be quite a few people. Yeah, I signed and signed and signed, and it was time to go because we had to hit the road. And I promised my better half to take her to Niagara Falls. Ooh. We had to still come from 300 miles. So, you know, I enjoyed the people, and they were fantastic. 
It was a great time. I'll tell you what, Captain Nick and, and the general, they ran a first-class promotion. It's fantastic. Awesome. Uh, that guy, Eric James, had Vampito, Vampito there, but I don't know if Vampito, I mean, he's a nice guy, but I don't understand because he was really never in any federation that uh, I know of. WCW. He was he was at the end of WC. He did a lot in Mexico, and he was yeah. in the final version of WCW when it was uh, not what it once was. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that, but I met him. He's a great guy, and he said, "I think we met each other." You know, he was trying to say that we ran into each other in Tom circles, which I never did. I don't know. I don't think and I wasn't being disrespectful. I said, "I don't think so, dude." I know you from Mexico. I know that. Yeah. I know he's a big name from Mexico, and that was about it. But that was it. Tatanka was there. And, you know, we had a great time. We all had a great time. Awesome. Awesome stuff. And uh, did so people, I know that you took a bunch of your shirts, No BS with the Bull, Manny Fernandez, Royal Blue, uh, or uh, no, Gray, I'm sorry, available at yep. shirts.vocnation.com. And uh, we're, what was the feedback? What's the star rating that oh, you got on your shirts? The feedback was great with shirts. We we sold about ten shirts. Awesome. We got rid of about ten shirts. It was awesome. Nice. And my DVD. And you know the guy Nick was so cool. He sold them on the platform. He sold them for whatever, and he gave, kept a little and gave me most of it, which was fantastic. I you know I let people do their thing. They bought us in there on guaranteed money, and then they're got to make their money. That's what awesome. I told them. Hey, don't worry about me. Just give me my money, and you make your money. Make your money. You don't need to have take a loss because I, the way you are and how cordial and respectful you are, I'd like to come back one day. That's great. That's great. And you drove, right? Didn't you drive cross country to get yeah, from drove, Houston to drove. New York? Yeah, we drove, we drove, we drove. We thought we'd never get there. It was forever. <laughs> I take my, my better half to see the country, you know, go see parts that she'd never been to places, you know, she could visit, you know, everything around there. That's like her big dream was Niagara Falls. So we had to go to Niagara Falls. So Manny, I guess while we're talking about New York, did you ever wrestle in New York? Uh, you didn't wrestle for WWE, obviously, but did you did you tour up there when oh, you yeah. were in the NWA? Yeah, WCW. WCW. Okay. We did the we did everything. Yeah, we wrestled a lot. I wrestled a lot in New York. But What's your what's your best uh, match or best memory of New York? Is there one that stands out? It's a corny question, but I figured I'd ask it while we're talking about you being oh, in New York. That I'll always answer with Abdullah the Butcher, where we went all over the building, fought all over through the fans and everything. It's always Abby because he's so crazy. We never wanted to keep it in the ring. We wanted to tear up the whole fans and the and the stands and fight all over the place. Uh, tip people's merchandise tables over. Have a lot of fun. <laughs> was there ever a match with Abdul the Butcher where he didn't bleed? I mean, is that does that exist? No, not with me. He's always bleeding. He's always. Was, I've never seen Abby not bleed. Put it that way. How does that? How does so? So give me how. Set that up for a minute. When when you're going into a match with Abdul the Butcher, obviously you know it's going to be it's going to be a pretty uh, gruesome process. So were there people that refused to work with him because of his style and and how gory it was? Is, did that ever happen? Not not that I know of. You know, Abby could work. Tell you what, Abby can work. The day he surprised me at that Dago Starcade. 
when he took a suplex and the monkey flip from me. I thought he was nuts when he called that. But Abby can work when he wants to work. And if he likes you, he'll bust his butt for you. And that's what he did for me. He took major bones for me. You know, not too many people get a chance to suplex Abby. And when he wanted a suplex, when he called it, I said, oh, you're crazy. It's never going to happen. And he got mad. He said, I said, you suplex me. Said, okay, dude. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know, he had he had a, 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 I think, Chinese food restaurant that he owned down in Atlanta. I, I was there one time and got to got to meet him. I don't know. I mean, he was with another guy. I, I guess he, he invested in it. The other guy cooked. But uh, that's what he was doing the last time that I uh, saw Abby. Yeah, he sold it. I was there a couple of times and he was a fantastic host and the food was great. Food was great. But he sold it, you know, when he started uh, not being able to get around. Because Abby liked to greet and meet people at, at the restaurant. Yeah. He really yeah. did. He, he was a whole different personality when he went to the restaurant. He loved to greet me and meet people and stuff. Once he couldn't get around, you know, and he had to be wheelchair bound, he sold his half at the restaurant. It, interesting because of all of the, the style that he worked and how how many bumps he took and how many shots he took with foreign objects. And you see so many people in the wrestling business that, that left us early, early, early. And Abdul the Butcher still alive at the age of 80 years old. So oh, God bless him. Uh, you know, I saw him at a show uh, like three or four years ago up in New York. And I was up there for, I forgot who it was, but we went up there and had a match. And Abby was in his wheelchair on his gimmick table, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, hey, kid, take a bump out and I'll come over there and get you. I said, Abby, shut up. You're in a wheelchair. Don't be talking like that. You can get hurt. I don't want you getting hurt. So the match goes on. The guy has me by the apron. All of a sudden, I feel somebody pull me and start hitting me with a fork. And it was Abby in the wheelchair. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I said, you're nuts, dude. As only <laughs> he was, could do. He wanted to get involved, and he got involved no matter what I said. Unbelievable. <laughs> so, yep. Manny, um, as of, since the last time we talked, a lot of good feedback on the show we did where we talked. Uh, you told your story about Rob Van Dam kicking you uh, the stiff way in the ring and then disappearing. Rob actually retweeted that segment of our show to his uh, million followers yesterday. So Rob oh, Van wow. Dam with a shout out to uh, Manny Fernandez via Twitter. Wow, fantastic. This, this is what we talk about, you know. I take it personal when I train people. When I mentor somebody, they become a part of me. When we leave training, every time it's all family. We all put our hands in and, and we yell, fam, one, two, three, family. And that's the way I see these guys. And, and like I was talking, telling you earlier, to get respect, you got to give respect. And that's what I give to the, my kids. When they bust their butt. And another thing, I never took anything away from them. I always let them be themselves. And they're great. You know, Rob Van Dam's great. His style is fantastic. Our truth style was fantastic. Homicide, low key. All their styles are different. They're fantastic. And some people are afraid of homicide, low key, because they say they're too rough. Well, I taught them to be rough. It's supposed to be a rough sport. Like Rob Van Dam. It's the same way. You know, they're all going to be taught how to be tough in the business because that's what I was taught. And the people that taught me weren't easy on me. 
I told you that before. I got my butt kicked a few times trying to be cocky. I got my butt kicked. And I'm not ashamed to say that at all because I, I earned the respect more than anything. Why do you think, you know, I lost all my crew, Mulligan and Murdoch and them are gone, but I got Terry. And Terry was tough on me in the ring when he went to Florida. I tell you, he was tough on me personally outside of the ring. Terry was tough on me a lot. He educated me a lot. How to protect the business when you're outside of the business. How to respect other people, even though they, they don't have respect for the business. Just respect it, what their opinion is, because they're entitled to it. You know, sometimes I got mad and would knock the hell out of them, you know, for what they said. And he would get upset with me. But, you know, it's way different in my book. But it is. Anyway, and I, love, I love my guys. Manny, would Terry work stiff with somebody that didn't respect the business? If he didn't feel like that person was doing their part, would he work stiff on purpose? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And Terry, Terry was stiff all the time. That's how they work. Yeah. But that didn't bother me because I already knew going into that, you're going to get stiff. If you're going to get stiffed in the chest and the back and the legs and arms, and you can't take it, well, then you're in the wrong business. Wrong business. You know, they, knew to, they knew how to lay it in and when to lay it in to make it look real, you know, yeah. to be real. Honestly, to be real, they had to be real, especially if you're outside the ring near the fans back in the day, you were going to get stiff because they want them fans to realize they're going to lay it in. You know? Sure. Did, did you see, it? Just I just saw it come out today, Terry Funk diagnosed with COVID-19 at the age of 80. So we wish Terry Funk well. Uh, we wish him a full recovery. Okay, number one, Terry's not 80, he's 77. He's 77. 10 years younger than I'm older than I am. I'm 67. I always know this. Terry's 10 years older than I am. I'm 67, he's 77. You're right. He'll be se- yep. He'll be 77 June 30th. So my bad on on that. You know what it was? Abdul the butcher's 80, and I had it in my mind. So <laughs> thank you for that. Terry is born in the end of June, June 30th, and I was born in the end of July, July 27th. So I always know that our birthdays are that towards the end of the month. You know, in sure. June and July. But after this, they get off this call. I'm definitely going to call him right. Done with his call and check on him. Yep. You know, he, I've been busy. He, I've been busy uh, but... it, it said that he would tested positive after attending church a few weeks ago. Other than being in quarantine, he's said to be okay. I think he's recovering. So, yeah, best wishes from No BS uh, and the VOC Nation family to mm-hmm. Terry Funk. Manny, let's slide in a quick break and we'll come back on the other side and talk about an interview Barry Windham did on Facebook. I know Barry was somebody you grew up in the business with and have a lot of respect for. So let's talk about that interview on the other side. This is No BS with the Bull, Manny Fernandez on VOC Nation Wrestling Network. For over 10 years, VOC Nation has taken listeners behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Our hosts are not only experts on the business, but have lived in the business. Subscribe and hear weekly podcasts from hosts like legendary pro wrestling journalist Bill Apter, former Impact Wrestling star Wes Briscoe, former WWE and AWA broadcaster Ken Resnick, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, former WCW star The Maestro, 
NWA legend The Raging Bull, Manny Fernandez, and much more. VOC Nation programming is free on most major podcasting apps, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Radio.com. And video podcast and bonus content is available on Patreon for as low as $3 a month. What are you waiting for? Head to VOCNation.com and dig into the most comprehensive podcast network built for pro wrestling fans. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at VOC Nation Wrestling Network and follow us on Twitter at VOC Nation. All right, no BS with the bull, the raging bull, Manny Fernandez here on the VOC Nation Wrestling Network. I am the voice of choice, Bruce Wirt. I'm honored to be Manny's uh, co-host for this show. And we've come at you for, I think, five or six weeks. So make sure you subscribe or like or follow. It's free to the VOC Nation Wrestling Network on your favorite podcast app. All of our podcasts are on the same feed. So you get Manny, uh, look for No BS with the Bull. You get Bill Apter, Ken Resnick, Wes Briscoe. we got lots of great hosts. So check all of the great programming out. Manny, speaking of programming, uh, recently, Barry Windham did a live interview on Facebook, and I know you grew up with Barry, and you uh, you tuned into that interview, and, uh, you know, you were thinking about your time with Barry and how you, you both think about the business in a similar way, right? Yes, we do. Just uh, Barry was born into the business, and he went everywhere with his dad, Blackjack. Yep. Barry knew a lot. difference between Barry and Barry is, he grew up around all these wrestlers. And, you know, when we were mentioning Ric Flair, I said, I didn't know who he was. And I didn't because I only knew the people that uh, that brought me into the business at that time until I went from Amarillo, Florida. And then I met that half of the country over there. But Barry grew up in the business and he grew up in North Carolina, mainly where Blackjack was around Ric Flair. And he used to go to Ric Flair's house and party when he was in high school. So he knew Ric Flair. And I wonder what that was like. What's that? I said, I wonder what that was like back in those days. Oh, it had, it had to be crazy. You know, it's crazy. He always threw crazy parties. Rick <laughs> Flair at the end would always drop his pants and show his butt. He went, he did that everywhere. At Bennigan's, at uh, Friday, key idea Friday, he'd get drunk at the end and just drop his drawers, moon everybody. Insane. <laughs> that, was, that was his big skit, you know. But, you know, Barry... Barry's very fortunate. He grew around the business and became a natural. Because in there, and you know, when me and him started going from Amarillo setting up the ring together and him and me working on the ring, you could tell he was a natural because, you know, it was in his blood. But yeah, Barry was one of the greatest, I think one of the greatest workers I, during that era. He was with my era. Me and him came up in Florida together. We left Amarillo, went to Florida together, and we grew up the same way. He was a great worker. A great, and he had great psychology. Very great. So he had a natural instinct when he got in the ring with Flair. He already knew what Flair was all about because he was around him all the time. You know, I wasn't. Why? Why do you think Barry wasn't a bigger star, Manny? I mean, Barry obviously had some great runs. He had longevity. He bounced in and out of uh, between WWE, WWF, and and the NWA territories, but he never had a, a big, substantial money drawing run at the top of the card. And what do you think was missing? I don't know because in my book, in my eyes, I thought Barry had all the tools. I thought Barry should have been, you know, I thought Barry should have been a world champion. To tell you the truth, he had the skills to do that, and he could draw money. I was thinking he could draw money, but. 
I don't know if it was his attitude or the fear of his dad, because, you know, Blackjack, he wouldn't let you mess with Barry. I'll tell you that right now. Blackjack was real protective of Barry, very protective. And even when uh, we had that accident in Florida where I flipped my truck 10 times, we're going so daggone fast and we're racing the other, the other uh, Sir Oliver Humperdinck and Bugsy McGraw and Leroy Brown. I flipped with the truck in front of him and somehow we both survived. All I got was six stitches under my chin. Barry didn't have anything, but Blackjack came down from wherever and I thought he was going to kill me for hurting his son, but Barry, uh, luckily me and Barry didn't get hurt, but I was, I was fearful Blackjack was going to come kick my butt. <laughs> Tell you the truth, but we it's survived. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, you know, Barry, I don't know. You know, Barry had the look, he had the charisma, he had the fire, he had all the tools to be a world champion, but for some reason, he always got held back. Yeah, he had a, so he obviously started down down south in the in the uh, NWA territories, and he's the son of Blackjack Mulligan, and worked in WWE from 84 to 85 with the U.S. Express, and if you remember, Barry was uh, one of the first to have that real American theme song, Mike Rotunda and Barry Windham. And, uh, you know, he had the look and Rotunda and Wyndham were a popular tag team. And, and then he started to bounce around. He ended up with Jim Crockett from 86 to 89. Uh, he had the run with the four horsemen. And then he kind of fizzled out returning to the, the WWF. He played, uh, what, the stalker. He was the yeah. widow maker. And then he ended, uh, he had a run with uh, Bradshaw as the, the new Blackjacks. If you remember that, when they dyed their hair black and he was Blackjack Wyndham? Yeah. You know, a lot of that in the NWA and WCW, Mid-Atlantic, a lot of that had to do with, with Dusty. Dusty was a booker, but he also was a jealous person. If he thought you were getting over more than him, then he put the clamps on you, you know. He'd done that to me uh, all the time. You know, I, but see, I didn't care. You know, Barry was born in business. He loved the business. He wanted to work his butt off the business. Me, I didn't care. I knew what the business was about. So if you wanted me to put me on the first match, come out there, start, start starting Friday, so be it. I'm still going to show you up. I'm still going to make you follow that match. You know, and you're not going to want to follow that match because I'm going to go out there and butt my butt and make you work your butt off to follow that match and that's what Barry did a lot of times he would go out there and they'd have him on the fourth or third or fourth and he'd go out there and have one hell of a match and you had to follow it and that's when you knew you were a better worker than the others because you could follow a great match it's hard to follow a crappy match very hard because then you got to get people Barry was good but you know and I, I learned that from Dick Murdoch how to go out and capture the crowd after somebody had the crowd sitting on their hands. You know, and a lot of times Dusty used to do that to me. Greensboro, Raleigh and all that. When the match go out there and the people were sitting on their hands, he'd come and say, easy, he used to call me easy money. Easy money, baby. The people on their hands, baby, get them up. Got to get the people up, baby. <laughs> and I'd go out there and bust my butt and get the people off their hands. Like I said, Barry was the same, same way. But, you know, a lot of it had to do, and a lot of people won't admit it, but a lot of it had to do with Dusty. You couldn't be bigger than Dusty. Dusty had to be the biggest. You know, it's funny, and, and I, I want to get back to Dusty in a second, but a lot of people might not, 
younger fans might not realize it, but Barry Windham is the uncle to, you know, major WWE star Bray Wyatt. He's the uncle and, and Wyatt was named after him. Bray Wyatt's name is Windham so, uh, Rotunda. Yeah. Bray is fantastic. <laughs> Bray is very, very so fantastic. I forget how big he is. You know how big he is? Strong. And yeah. I was at a WWE tryout with my guys one time. And somebody, I think R-Truth and uh, Dustin. Dustin were there. Dustin Rose is there. And they said, hey, man, he's around here. And Bray come up behind me. Hey, man, Fernandez. And he jacked me up. He threw me up in the air. And I said, hey, I'm old now. Calm down, kid. He said, you ain't old. Bray is one heck of a kid. One heck of a kid. Of course, you know, I know we're coming close to him. And, and me and Barry have always been close to Bray Wyatt is one hell of a kid, man. Were you around? Were you around Bray when he was uh, a little guy? No, no. I just knew they were born. And everything, you know, from the, from where we stayed in touch. But I really—he heard the story. Bray's always heard the story, so that's how I knew about Manny Fernandez. And when he was the WWE, still with WWE, yeah. he knew about the story. But but you know, he was good friends with uh, Art Truth and Dustin and all of them, so. They always heard their story, and Ray was excited to meet me. Needless to say, throwing me up in the air about this. <laughs> <laughs> Ray's one of those guys that, I mean, he's a major star. He's one of those guys like, like Jake Roberts back in the day where he doesn't need a belt necessarily to get him over. But I yeah. feel like if they really want, and WWE is so sensitive about creating mega stars because they don't want you're saying this about dusty. No, dusty was sensitive to anybody being bigger than dusty. WWE is like that as a whole, where they don't want anybody bigger than the brand. So they don't, they try not to have mega mega stars, but Bray with the belt, I feel like he could turn the clock back to a different time. And just have a two or a three year run with the belt and, and he'd be phenomenally over with the fans. Uh, even if he worked heel, he'd be a, a baby face, like a, like a Steve Austin kind of. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you hundred percent. Bray would carry that belt. It's, it's like it's the old saying, it's not the belt that makes the man. It's the man that makes the belt. And Bray yeah. would be one of those things that make the belt. And he'd have a great run for them, but they're not going to let that happen. You know, they're not. It's, yeah, you know, Vince is, I don't know what Vince thinking is all about. He just, he's off the wall with everything to me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, getting back to Dusty. So Dusty was a booker and a wrestler. And, you know, you said Dusty was very sensitive to people getting over above him and, and generating more exposure and, and heat that, than him. Was that common back in the day? I mean, you see a lot of the old territories had bookers that were also wrestlers. Was Dusty unique in that way, or did all of the bookers want to put themselves over above the, the rest of the boys? No, you know, the booker, the only booker I knew that had that attitude, because I worked for him almost all my life, the Dusty, right? You know, outside of with Joe Blanchard and, and, uh, and Hardy. Hardy didn't have that when I worked for him in the Kansas City territory. Oh, they didn't. You know, Bob Geigel, Pat O'Connor, they were in control of the bookers. And they didn't have that problem. Dusty's about the only one I know of because Joe Blanchard had good bookers, yeah, Wallace McDaniels and Dick Slater and Buck Robley. And none of those guys were bigger than the boys. 
None of those guys were bigger than the promotion. Dusty had to be bigger than the promotion. It was all about Dusty. Every angle was about Dusty. The horseman broke his arm. The horseman broke his leg. All this and that. And after a while, that just it gets on your nerves. You're like, whatever, dude. It's ego. Ego. They don't realize it. In reality, it's not. You're really not happening. You know, you're not that great in reality. But you know, it's their ego and ego. It's just, just like these guys that go around. You know, spend a cup of coffee, uh, stay with WWE for a cup of coffee. And then they get released, and and then they go around saying, "WWE legend." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you ain't been there for a cup of coffee, and you're a legend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever works on the circuit, right? I, <laughs> yeah. um, but so that that did, did did Dusty have a problem? Obviously, I've I've heard this, and and I don't know anything other than what I hear from talking to people like you. Did Dusty have a problem getting people to come into his territories, knowing that Dusty was going to favor himself over other talent? Was that was that ever a problem? Was that something that was talked no. about? No, not actually, because you know when he came to the big territory like Mid Atlantic, turned it into WCW, you knew you were getting paid no matter what. That's when they started contracts. You were getting paid. It's like I told you before, Bruce. I could give a damn if you put me on the opening match. You still got to pay me. You still got to pay me what my guarantee is. So I'd rather open up the show and get it over and done with, but you still got to pay me my guarantee. So whether I'm first or last, it didn't matter to me. It didn't. Because I had no ego about where you put me. You know, but then you had to follow me, and I wasn't easy. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now, because I went out there and, and did the best I could for the fans. So Manny, was there politics that went into uh, who was going to be where on the card? And, and then whether it was Dusty or anybody else, you worked in a lot of the Southern territories, the non-WWF territories. Was there politics that determined who was going to go where and who was related to who and who was friendly with who? Did that go into it? Or did uh, a lot of the bookers yeah, just know, segment that out know, of their brain? Politics played in everything of us, you know. You know, there's some bookers were afraid of to, to book me and use me because a lot of the wrestlers say, oh, man, he's so real. It looks like he's killing people. I don't know about him. He looks like he's out there killing people. But they have politics. But, you know, I never ran into that problem because every territory I went to, I was brought in to pick up the territory. They brought me in to put asses in the seat. And that's what I was able to do in every territory. Everybody made a good living. So. That kind of did, but it does go like when I when I was in the Kansas City territory, everything was going good with Dewey Robertson and Roger Kirby and uh, Mark Romero or Mark Youngblood and myself. We had a great run there until Bulldog Bob Brown came. When Bulldog Bob Brown came back into the territory. Now he had to be the champion. You know, I had to lose the belt, Central State belt, so they could put on Bob Brown because he had been there and his buddy buddies with the. Uh, Guy going O'Connor and it works in the office. So right away, the, the territory took a uh, change for the worst. Then you stop making money, you know. So that's all got to do with politics. Of course, if you're in the office, you don't care because you're getting paid, but the boys ain't. And that's the bad thing about that politics. That's yeah, why I was horrible. I was not a politician. I didn't play politics. Back in those days, the house determined the payout, right? You got a percentage of the gate. Yep. You get a percentage from top 
from top to bottom. And if you're on top and can't draw a dime, that means your bottom boys are starving. And that's not a good feeling. Yeah. You know, no, go ahead. You might be making eight to thousand dollars a week, but that means the guys underneath you are making two or three hundred dollars a week, and you can't feed your family and travel with that. You can't. And and Manny, did that cause any any? Did that sow discontent? So when when the guys knew that, let's say Dusty picked a friend of his to run at the top of the card, or or whoever whoever the booker was picked a friend of theirs to run at the top of the card and that person wasn't drawing did that so discontent with the wrestlers that were on the bottom of the card that weren't making any money and and did that cause an exodus sometimes yeah because you know when we got so big at wcw we had an a team and a b team of course me and rick rude were on the b team and dusty a team with dusty and flair the horseman you know that kind of baby doll and all that and we were on the b team so we had Denny Brown, Hector Guerrero, Mike Davis, all the underneath guys. Jimmy Valiant, you know, was in there with us, Barbarian. That was the V team. But what the sad thing is he took all the A team guys thinking that he was going to outdraw the B team, and that didn't happen. Me and uh, Rick Rude and Rock and Roll Express outdrew them. That means our guys on the B team were happy because they were making money. They were making money. They were making a grand a week. Whereas you were on the A team on the bottom and they didn't draw, that means you weren't making but 500, 400 a week, you know, but that, like I said, that's all ego. That was mm -hmm. all ego. We're going to go with the A team and we'll all draw the B team. We'll send the B team to spot show. Like they sent us to Florence, South Carolina one time thinking it wasn't going to do that good. Maybe two, 3,000 people. We did 20,000 people with Rock and Roll Express. Wow. You know, that was a good payday. <laughs> yeah, of course. You know? yeah. I, I want it. I want to ask you on the other side of the break about the NWA territories. We started talking last week about, you know, your start, your journey. And um, I want to talk about moving from Amarillo to Florida, it, whether it's this week or next week, we'll get into that. But I want to talk about how the NWA territories worked, because I think a lot of fans only know, newer fans only know the WWE and the AEW way where everything's together and on TV together. I want to talk about the way that you you guys all worked together and ran the territories together. Let me uh, take a quick break and we'll come back and we'll wrap up with that. This is no BS with the bull Manny Fernandez on the VOC nation wrestling network. VOC nation takes wrestling fans behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Get stories and inside information from people who worked on the other side of the curtain. Follow the VOC nation wrestling network podcast feed and get weekly shows from hosts like Bill after the raging bull Manny Fernandez Ken Resnick the maestro Shelly Martinez Wes Briscoe and more visit vocnation.com for more information and follow us on Twitter at vocnation all right no BS with the bull Manny Fernandez right here on the VOC Nation wrestling network and uh, Manny, we're dropping these shows. We've been dropping them on Friday afternoons. That's when we record. But, you know, life is a little bit crazy right now. I got two small kids. I got all these other shows that I'm involved in. I have Next Generation Leadership, which I do with um, 
you know, it goes along with my business career and that records on Fridays and it has to be produced. And I, I do uh, the after Resnick show, no wrestling with history that runs on Wednesdays. And I got to produce that. I, I, am a telecom executive, so that's my, my real job. And then I have a family at home. So what we're going to do is we're going to continue to record on Fridays, but this show will drop on Monday. So everybody will hear the show on Mondays and listen, here's my commitment to all of you fans that if I can get it out a little bit sooner, then that's what we'll do. And if you want to volunteer your time as a wrestling fan, if you got some audio talent and you can produce, we're happy to bring you on. The pay is not high, but the opportunities there, your work will be seen by tens of thousands of people here at VOC Nation. So there you go, Manny. Uh, it's Mondays unless awesome. somebody wants to come in and help us out. That's awesome. That's yeah. either way. There, there we go. Before the break, we were talking about just the uh, territory system. And I, I love getting your insight because um, and I think that's one of the things we try to do at VOC Nation is bring people inside the business. And you were there. So we take people behind the scenes from the perspective of people that were there. And the whole concept of the NWA, I think, is fans of today they know the tv product that they see from the wwf or wwe i'm sorry and aew they know the tv product it's produced it's all centralized and it's all run by that company but the nwa was a collection of territories that ran and traded talent and and there were different uh, areas that had their own champion. So can you just explain that concept to the people and how the NWA worked as a, as a governing body? When I was uh, starting out the business of NWA, they have, the, it was like a nice round table to tell you the truth. They had the owner of every territory and they'd have a meeting, but they had one president of the NWA and that was Eddie Graham, uh, which had the hottest territory at that time in the country, Florida. Eddie Graham was the president, and all the other heads would come together, and they put their brains together to keep this NWA and everybody making money. And they would trade talent. They would see which guy was over in the Central States Territory, the Amarillo Territory, Florida Territory, Louisiana Territory, Oklahoma Territory. All those territories are combined with NWA. They'd all get together and make sure that one ter if one territory was going down, and the you know the fans weren't coming out of them. There had to be a reason. So they would go to the other territory, see how it's doing, and see what guy was on top. You had to earn your way up on top. Back in the day, you had to earn your way to be a main eventer. You had to earn your way by putting butts in the seats and by carrying people and, and making sure your underneath guys were making money. So you had to do that. So they would take the hottest guy they had, say, Harley Race, in the Central States Territory. And they would bring him when, they, when he was world champion, they would bring him to Florida to pop territory. That's basically what they did when I started getting to that level to where they thought I was world champion material. They would bring Harley Race in to wrestle, me for, the world, to wrestle for the world title and it would lift the crowd up. The crowd would, uh, unbelievable crowds when he came in. That's the same thing they did with, when Terry Funk had the title, Lori Funk had the title. Every time they had the territory go down, they would rush to the world champion, bring him in against the top baby facers, the top heel, whatever it was. They was drawing money to make it a contest, but they helped each other to keep the territories going. Something that's not done today because there is no territory. Right. You know, but 
so Manny, could 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 the NWA champion be part of any territory? So I, I guess each territory, Mid-Atlantics, Florida, Texas, everybody had their own champion. And then there was an NWA champion that could come from anywhere, right? They the, the board voted on who that was going to be, and then that person got the belt and would travel between territories. Right, correct. Exactly. But that person had to be, he had to be daggone good because you had to draw money. Because when you went, you came in as a world champion, the NWA world champion, you better pop that territory. Which, you know, all the NWA champions, I know world champions, I know, every time they came in, they popped the territory, whether it was uh, Dory or, or Lutez or, or Terry or Harley or, and, you know, those guys popped the territory. Whatever they went, they, they got hot. I remember to, uh, Harley coming into Amarillo when I was young, still in college, to wrestle Dickie Murdoch for that world title. Uh, I said, dang, they got a lot of people in here. It was a line around the building a mile long. So, you know, that's how they kept the territories going. And how did so a lot of people know Jim Crockett promotions because that was the the major territory before the NWA ended up folding into WCW. When did Jim Crockett rise to prominence and, and how did that work? So you said Eddie Graham had the major territory uh, when when you were active uh, for a while in the late 70s, early 80s, when did Crockett become the primary territory? Well, Ben Atlantic was always a hot territory. They always had, you know, talent, unreal talent there. They always went to Ben Atlantic, you know, Valentine and Mulligan and, you know, all the talent they had there, Roddy Piper. And, I mean, they had so much talent come out of Carolina. Carolina yeah. was hot all the time, but it started getting bigger as the, the NWA started falling apart in Atlanta because I remember the day Mulligan, I, we did a big show in, in um, Southwest Championship Wrestling for uh, Joe Blanchard at uh, uh, Trinity College Stadium. At the stadium, the World Warriors came in, Mulligan came in, Fabulous One came in. I was there against Killer Jim Brooks. We had this great show, and I remember Mulligan sending the referee to uh, for me so he could talk to me. I walked around the building. And, he said, give your notice, kid. You're going to Carolina in two weeks. They want you there. So I said, yes, sir, I will. You know, I had to do what they told me to do because they were the ones that bought me in the business. And sure. for me to tell him, especially Mulligan, no, I can't do that. I'm doing good here. That was a no-no. Once I told him, I was told to give your notice, I went to Joe Blanchard and said, you got to drop the belt. I got to give you my notice. Do whatever you want to do. I went out with respect. I did the thing that everybody should do like they did back in the day. When you were leaving, you left all behind. Make sure the territory stayed intact. You didn't leave on a bad note. You always went out right. And and I, I'm, I'm assuming that those promoters, when you gave notice, there was no hard feelings because they all worked together or were, they, were some of them a little bitter when, when they're – their uh, fellow promoters would steal talent or, or take talent. I'll, I'll, I'll refrain from the word steal. Take the top talent, yeah. Uh, I could say this about Joe Blanchard. Joe Blanchard is a great man. Joe Blanchard had no beat. Great pay guy. Always paid the boys cash at the end of the night. But he was a great man. He understood the business. He was in the business. Joe Blanchard was in the industry. His son, Tully, was in the business. And he yeah. had to go to Kelvin. Tully had done given his notice. And went to Carolina before I did. Tully was already in Carolina. 
So when they came, he knew that uh, the Carolinas with Dusty booking was getting bigger and bigger. And, you know, he, he understood. No, he just told me good luck. And, uh, and we went about, did everything properly, you know. Awesome. Well, Manny, uh, fast and furious today, and I think this sets us up for what I want to talk about next week is um, a little bit about your time in Florida, but I think that people uh, would be would like a front seat view of, you know, Jim Crockett promotions when you went up into the mid Atlantic and Vince McMahon is at the same time trying to take the nation by storm and the battle uh, had begun. So I think that's a good topic for next week. And uh, for this week, I think we covered a lot of ground, a lot of stuff on Barry Windham and Terry Funk and Abdullah the Butcher and uh, the political nature of booking. I think we got through a lot this week, Manny. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate it. Don't forget those great fans up in Albany, New York. Got a big shout out to them for being so gracious and respectful. Yep, Captain's Corner, uh, Nicholas Massey, Captain Nick. And uh, yeah, hopefully hopefully Manny gets back to Albany sometime very, very soon. We're peaking to the end of the pandemic, Manny. It's, uh, I yeah. feel it. We're going to open up very, very soon. Might be with masks for the foreseeable future, but we'll, we'll get through this. We all just have to pull together. Love your neighbors. You know what I'm saying? Yes, sir. Definitely love your neighbors. Treat him like you would treat yourself. Yep. Amen to that. All right. Well, that's uh, that's it for this week. Remember, subscribe, follow, like. It's all free at the VOC or, uh, well, to any of your favorite podcast apps. Search for VOC Nation Wrestling Network. You get all of our shows, but search specifically for No BS with the Bull and go back and listen to all of the shows that we've done so far. If you're new to this week, maybe you saw a tweet from Rob Van Dam or, uh, or our truth and you're curious on what we talked about before. You can go back and listen, but that's it for this week for the Raging Bull Manny Fernandez. I'm the voice of choice, Bruce Wharton, and we'll talk to you next week, next Monday on No BS with the Bull. See you later, Manny. See you later, bud. For over 10 years, VOC Nation has taken listeners behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Our hosts are not only experts on the business, but have lived in the business. Subscribe and hear weekly podcasts from hosts like legendary pro wrestling journalist Bill Apter, former Impact Wrestling star Wes Briscoe, former WWE and AWA broadcaster Ken Resnick, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, former WCW star The Maestro, NWA legend The Raging Bull Manny Fernandez, and much more. VOC Nation programming is free on most major podcasting apps, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Radio.com. And video podcast and bonus content is available on Patreon for as low as $3 a month. What are you waiting for? Head to VOCNation.com and dig into the most comprehensive podcast network built for pro wrestling fans. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at VOC Nation Wrestling Network and follow us on Twitter at VOC Nation.